0: is almost sure we have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man, until we've thoroughly tested every last
1: close-chested view Find the more you think you know the less you really do Where would we be
0: without THC We know the lion to us just don't know to what degree Where would we be T.H.C. The
1: Higher Great Company. All right, Higher Side Chatters, I know I don't have to tell you about our harsh and bloody history, the centuries-old war on ideas, the system is waged as it steamrolled culture after culture, tradition after tradition. And we see campaigns like the various Crusades, European expansion, the Holy Roman Empire, the American colonialists, and the Conquistadors' conquest of Mexico and Peru as some of the major steps towards our modern, monotheistic monoculture. And the root cause for the destruction of so many indigenous, pagan, Celtic, Native American, and Gnostic worldviews, cosmologies, and magical traditions And most of these deep and rich systems have a lot more depth and meaning than their destroyers would have you believe, much of which is still fractured and incomplete, and some sadly beyond repair. So I, for one, perk up when I hear about an oral tradition that has managed to stay intact after hiding itself away from those who would destroy it, and that seems to be the case with the body of knowledge known as the Bach Saga. It is a cosmology, a language, a mythology, and a history all wrapped into one, a corpus of concealed information that claims to be the oldest on the planet and the true origin from which Scandinavian and Finnish cultures emerged. The Bach saga was a multi-generational secret told orally through the Bach family bloodline until the last remaining member of the family, Eeyore Bach, knew he wouldn't have anyone to pass the saga onto and began teaching it to a trusted handful of friends with whom it resonated, and in turn, they became its teachers and advocates. Eeyore died in 2010 after being stabbed by his own assistants, and one of the last remaining knowledgeable tellers of the material is today's returning guest, Jim Chesner. Jim is an elder leader of the Order of the Gnostics and the passionate advocate of the Box Saga, who in his previous appearance on THC broke down the cosmology, root language, and the story of the Hell Hole in Helsinki that is the Earth's original North Pole and the entrance to the Hollow Earth from which man first emerged. Today he returns to talk about a few more threads that this material has to offer and I'm psyched to get down to it the preserver of lost knowledge, and the bona fide bar-to-the-box saga, Jim. Welcome back to The Higher Side.
2: Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate all this. You got it, man.
1: I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I do find this information to be really compelling. It's deep and internally consistent, and anything that the powers that be tried to kill off, I want to help bring back, out of spite more than anything else. And this material incorporates the hollow earth, so that's just icing on the cosmological cake, if you ask me. And this is going to be a part two that probably requires a listen to part one for people to have all the context, because we can't rehash it all here. But I've gotten a few emails from people over the years, two years since we did the last show, who really loved the story. And I've actually made the trip to Helsinki to visit the entrance of the Buried Temple, which houses... The Bach family treasures and artifacts preserved, they say, since the beginning of time, leading deep into the earth via that golden staircase. And that's sort of what set off this part two we're having today. Of course, to my knowledge, the temple has still yet to be excavated, but it's been two years. Are there any updates on getting in there?
2: Yes, not last summer, but the summer before last. They went and they cleared all the trees and stuff that have grown around the entrance. So it's all ready to start, and we do have a financial backer again after so many years of no active involvement there. But now I think this next summer they're going to go back in and it should start the excavation again.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. And just to provide a little more context, the temple was closed in 987 A.D. due to the invading Christian armies and wanting to preserve it before they got there. It was then that permission was given to the last remaining Bach to reopen the temple a thousand years later, which was 1987. Well, you know, that hasn't happened yet, though you've tried. And I pulled this off the Bach Saga website, but regarding the excavation, it says, In 1991, the Foundation's last sponsor stopped supporting the project. Later that same year, a geophysical analysis of the location was conducted using a subsurface radar system. 25 meters below the ground, at a coordinate designated by Eorbach, the radar system picked up a dome-shaped hollow space with a roof potentially made of metal. A picture of the ground conducted at the excavation site indicated that there were only a few meters of excavation needed for an actual breakthrough to be achieved. As of the time of this writing, February 2002, this breakthrough has not yet been achieved, and so... Obviously, that's been some time, and it is great that you now have a financial backer, and the brush is cleared, and it sounds like something's about to get going there, but it does not seem like it's even that big of a job, and you could probably get this done on GoFundMe for relatively cheap. But I was curious about those radar images. Are those available online anywhere? Because if those images are real and you were to get them out there, This whole thing, I would think, would just get a lot more attention and support. Are they out there?
2: You know, Greg, I haven't really seen it. You know, I was there when they did the test, and I have seen the results. I've seen the dome, but I don't know that it's posted at all. Maybe I'll do something about that, see if I can find someone who has that material.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems fairly useful. And is there a a timeline? I guess we're ready to start digging again, but have they got any dates set for
2: unearthing this thing? Our friend Eric Edney, there in San Diego, he's helping to do this. You know, he's financing much of this. Just last summer, we just couldn't do anything. But yeah, I mean, we're ready to go. There's a huge stone on the right-hand side. There's two hills there. The hill on the left is a granite hill. It's called... Sea Bu it. Sea means the sea. Boo means a nest and berry means a hill. So it's the you see the nest hill. And on the other side, there's a huge huge granite stone that's balanced on three other stones. And it's on the side of a hill called Goombu it, which goom is old woman, boo is the nest, and berry is hill. This is all in root language that I'm speaking. So there are these two hills, and on one side is this monster stone. It's called the sundial stone. And so we want to clean out from underneath that and show that it's balanced on three stones right on the edge of this hill. That's what our next objective is.
1: Great. And obviously, it's always hard to get a smoking gun to prove that some alternative knowledge has value. I know the Box Saga gets a lot of mixed reviews out there, but I look for things on the edges to try to make these sorts of judgment calls. And here are a few things that made me more curious. We all know Wikipedia just sticks to the mainstream and tries to minimize the alternative. But even on the Box Saga's Wikipedia page, it says, A number of digs in the cave were made on various occasions from 1987 to 1998. After two summers of excavation, an entrance into the mountain was actually revealed. The following years, a hallway of granite, walls, floor, and ceiling filled with clay, mixed sand, and gravel was excavated about 50 meters beyond the entrance. The statement made by the family and saga of the subterranean hallway was actually proven to exist. Moreover, the excavated area has also proven to be, by far, the largest cave ever found in Finland. Inside, there are straight walls with a ceiling and floor consisting of granite. So, I mean, that's a lot of confirmation. And I start to wonder, how could Eeyore have known such a big discovery was there any other way? It seems like that is a little bit of context that helps to verify this story.
2: Yeah, I mean, his family, you know, they went through a lot of effort to pass this information down. And they gave pretty well detail about, you know, I mean, they their family closed it up 1,034 years ago. They explained what was inside who was responsible for building it who was responsible for filling it up with all this beautiful artwork and the purpose of the temple and the temple itself is very small it's only for two people but the storehouse underneath it in what we would call the hollow earth that huge cavern that's at the north pole i mean it's a piece of art i mean they cut away the walls they Plated it all with gold, a golden pathway that goes down in one spiral spiral. Thousands of kilometers. It took this temple is millions of years old. It's not built, you know, in a few years. It's over many, many, many generations of the family.
1: Right. And last time I talked to you, we kind of jumped right into the cosmology and the structure of the universe and how this all came to be, and that is great, but we didn't really talk about. Eeyore much at all. And I've learned a little bit. And I wanted to make this point because Eeyore Bach was attacked several times during his life after he started spreading the story. In 1999, an attack in his home left him a quadriplegic. And 10 years later, he was actually killed. Just to use Wikipedia again, it says, in October 2010, Eeyore Bach was stabbed to death in his apartment in Helsinki. Police arrested two male suspects of Indian origin who had shared his apartment and had worked as his personal assistants. According to the police, a quarrel had preceded the act of homicide. In November, the police reported that the younger suspect was set free and no longer considered a suspect. On September 7, 2011, the Finnish police deported the other suspect. A court found the man criminally unaccountable. So... We have Eeyore, a man who was attacked multiple times after he started to speak out about this, and two assistants ended up stabbing this quadriplegic man who was almost 70, and then they were released. I mean, that's a bit fishy, you know? That is pretty fishy. Then, consider that you and your team were busted with hash during one of the excavations, and you ended up going to prison. If you read between these lines... It looks like someone wanted any reason they could to shut this excavation down, gave you a pretty harsh punishment for Hash. Meanwhile, Eeyore is actually killed, and no one faces any real punishment. This all sounds like containment to me. It definitely doesn't smell right.
2: You're absolutely right, 100%, Greg. It's really not right. The first boy was a Finnish boy who stabbed him in 1999 worked his way into his apartment, stabbed him in the chest three times, and he died, and they brought him back. And, yes, he was a paraplegic, but we spent years in India. After that, his mind was completely clear. He could still smoke the pipe. He could still drink his tea. He just couldn't walk anymore. And they put this guy in some nut house for six months or something, and they let him go. And then the second attack in 2010 is two Indian boys from where we stay at we have a place in India, a place called Goa, a little village called Shapura. That's where the saga came out. And that's where the group of us that listened to the saga, we would go back and forth between Helsinki and Goa. And these two boys that were taking care for Eeyore, one of them is incredible, beautiful man. He really is. Aviv, I think. The other boy that killed Eeyore, they just let him go. You know, Finland, I don't know why. If you and I went to Finland and we hurt any Finnish person, we'd be in jail. I mean, they're very strict there about that kind of stuff. And yet, the two attacks on Eeyore, Finland turned their face, let both of them go like no penalty at all. I think Finland just doesn't want Eeyore's story to go out. They've been giving us negative press and negative this since 1987, since we started. Digging the temple there. And it is a very fishy story. I don't know how anyone can do this, but you know, Eeyore himself, he was amazing. On the first attack, he didn't want anything to happen to the boy that nearly killed him. He hoped he got better and he could go back into society. Eeyore wasn't one of these people who held grudges. I mean, if somebody attacked me like that, you know, whatever I can do, I'm going to get them back. But he didn't have that kind of a part about it. He understood all this was going to happen. You know, when you come out with such a story and such information, you're going to have repercussions from the powers that be. And that's all these years I've watched the Spanish government just try to put him on the back burner. And
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking is if this is just some crazy kook with wild stories, you'd expect him to just drift off into oblivion and die an old man. But for a quadriplegic in his 70s to be killed and then that person not held accountable and just ushered out of the country, that's very fishy. And again, like I mentioned, when you were doing an excavation, they came through and found some hash and locked you guys up. And it's like, did they lock you up because they found hash or because they don't want this excavated? It's a very curious thing. These situations have happened before. So it's unfortunate that we can't trust the official story because there's always a subtext. And these things are all pushing the needle into the realm of credibility as far as I'm concerned. And something I also heard you mention on another show, but we didn't talk about it, Was something about a museum being built by the Russians over the location? Well, I don't know what the deal is with that, but I'm confident that governments use this sort of tactic to cover things up when they can. Is this the case here as well? Do you think that a cover-up has anything to do with this museum that's apparently been built?
2: Well, the museum is actually built by the Russians in the end of the 19th century. It's on the island where the North Pole is. There is an exact location where there is one hole in the very top of the pole, and it's called the holy. The hole, E is the axle of the planet. We call it I in English, but it's a pole with a dot above it. So that represents the axis of the planet, the pole, and the little dot above the pole is the North Star. So in the very top of the axis of the planet, it comes from one island about three kilometers in front of Helsinki called Susi, sorry, before called Udin's Ur, the island of Udin. And on the middle of this island is this exact North Pole, and the Russians built a museum right on top of what we call Valhalla. This hole is called Valhalla in the mythology. It's a real physical place. It's still there today, and straight above that is a round room where I stand in one of my videos and I say that this is the meridian line that divides the east from the west. And so I can put one foot on the east and one foot into the west. And that line goes straight from that hole down to Poland. It divides Crete in half and goes back around to Hawaii on this side and back to Helsinki. And that's the original zero line. They moved the zero line over to Greenwich in the 18th century or 19th century, excuse me. And it was a conscious effort that they did. Partly of what the Crimean War is about when they blew this castle up in front of Helsinki was to move this. So actually the whole planet is one hour off in time if you really want to be correct.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't doubt that many things have been moved and obscured to hide truth. And like we said last time, this cultural memory or this subconscious memory of a holy land. This was what we're talking about is this hole in Helsinki. And obviously the religious authorities destroyed all that and moved the holy land to Israel. But the whole idea of hell being a negative place that is underground that you don't want to go. I mean, this is the same way they removed magic from culture, said it's bad, it's evil, don't go there. It seems to have a similar residue to it. And I guess I'm also curious, what is the name of that museum? What do you suspect is under that foundation?
2: I think it's called the Aaronsford. Aaronsford, he was the one that was responsible for building this, what they call Svearbori, the castle of Sweden. In Finnish, they call it or the castle of Finland. There was one castle built there in the 1750, I think, when they started to build it to make a fortification because the Sweden and the Russia were, they were at battle with each other and the Russians would come over via Finland in these small and these rowing boats and they would attack Stockholm. And so they built this castle and they had shipbuilding and everything in this castle on these seven islands and hell has seven hills and seven islands in front of hell. And so they built this castle called Sveaborg so they could help stop these attacks from Russia to Sweden and then in 1855 the Crimean War the English and the French came up and they blew this island and they blew this everything in pieces because this was the O zero line and they were you know they didn't want anyone to know that hell was the zero line from before mm. so is a very big conspiracy. No one knows about this except for the Bach family, and of course, whoever hears this. But it was completely put underneath everything. But Greenwich is not the zero line, and yeah, it's like that.
1: Well, I know so many things have been altered. Calendars have been altered. Language, holidays. It all hides the truth underneath. And over here, you know, I've done shows talking about national parks that the government will place a national park. Around something that kind of wants to preserve yet keep secret. We hear about people going missing in these parks. We hear about energy nodes, these kind of things that were important to Native Americans. Now they're roped off and people are charged admission to go on the pre approved paths. But off of those paths, no one really knows what's out there except probably a few people
2: behind the scenes. Maybe some of the indigenous people really know, but they're afraid to say anything because. If you say anything today, anything can happen to your family. Anything can happen to anything. So everybody, you know, there's a lot of information that's being kept in different sources. that just can't come out because the people are afraid to do it.
1: Absolutely. And one more thing to add credibility to this oral tradition. Last time you had mentioned that this temple is not the only site that houses hidden treasures and artifacts related to the Bach Saga. And according to what I read from another impartial source, Kajani Castle is one of these places, and they go on to say, according to Bach, a castle was situated in the place already in the 13th century when the royal treasure of the kings of Finland, including a golden buck statue, was hidden in a well in the courtyard of the castle. Some excitement arose when ground-penetrating radar again suggested that a sizable metal object was located at 4 meters depth of the courtyard of the fort. According to the state archaeologist, the item was probably just an old cannon that could have fallen into the well during the destruction of the fort in 1716. During an archaeological excavation made later in 2006, it was noticed that an electrical ground cable had been dug in the courtyard at 40 meters depth. According to the project manager of the National Board of Antiquities, it was most probably the object noticed in the ground penetrating radar investigations. So, again, there you have it. Eeyore is saying, hey, there is something here. They find it with radar, and then official government archaeologists, without even seeing it, say, oh, it's probably nothing. It's probably just a cannon that fell in the well or an electrical wire. And then later, you know, it's just like, no one seems to go actually get that thing. It just seems very much like the sort of excuses they give to cover up and dismiss many things that don't fit the narrative. It's just another notch in the belt of credibility, I would say.
2: Yeah, it's just crazy. You know, if you go to the name of that little castle, is called Kayani. Kayani. Yeah, Kayani. It's about 500 kilometers north of Hill. It's where the. Bach family were part of the Bach family went into exile when hell was destroyed in 1050 by the Catholic Church. Part of the family went up in the very north in a place called Korva, way up in the north of Finland. And the other part of the family went over to this little castle. That's where they sat for 200, well, from 1050 to 1250. And then they came back down to South Finland. But, uh, yes, you know, another thing, too, uh, in one of my videos, we go to a place called Susi Luola in Finnish language, in English it comes to Wolf Cave, anyone can Google Wolf Cave, Finland. And there, in 1995, they made an excavation on the, actually the largest cave in Finland, and they found many floors that went down and down and down and down, and these are geologists, archaeologists from all over the planet that came, and weren't just finished. And Their findings, they found tools, they found fire building, they found mastodon bones that these people had been eating. They found seal bones that they'd been eating. And this place is about, I don't know, 50 or 60 miles from the coast. So they had gone to the coast and brought these seals over to cook. And in this earliest floor that they went down to is around 450,000 years. And the upper floor is about 130,000 years. So there were people living in this Finland. Half a million years ago, that archaeologists and geologists dated this excavation. And this Bach saga came out many years before this excavation. And Eeyore was already talking about these people who were living in Finland a half a million years ago. This is the story about where the white people come from, the blue eyes, the light hair, the white skin. It's pretty obvious that this white race of people would come from the way up in the north somewhere, but no one has a story about it anymore.
1: Right. And it does just seem like the remnants and fingerprints of the Asher people are all over the Finland area. And I know you're probably a little anxious to relay more information from the saga itself, but I just wanted to get some of those details out there and also ask if maybe there are other sites like the couple we've mentioned that might also contain treasures or artifacts that could verify this
2: story. How many sites might there be? Well, there's another place that I actually didn't put in the video. It's called the offer Offerlundin. And offer means to offer something. And Lunden means a grove of trees. So it was an old outside offering place where we had an offering system before. And it's near one castle called Rasafuri, about 80 kilometers to the west of Hell. There they buried the throne of the king of Finland. They buried three crystal balls. One was from the paradise time, before ice time. One was one that they used under the ice in this astrology system, this astrology system. And uh, the other crystal ball is for the future. So we have these three periods of time in this story. We have what we call the paradise, or the paradise time, before the tilt of the planet when the whole ball was tropical. And then we have the ice times or the alt times when all the lands were ice. And then we have a future story also about it says that this axle is getting ready to flip back up, that we're going to go straight back up where Helsinki is, will be the very North Pole again. That's why this ice, this global warming is all happening is because we have to melt this ice off before the planet can flip back. And that's all part of this future thing. Right.
1: I think that's a really fascinating part of the saga is Atlantis is apparently derived from all land ice. And you say, or the saga says it was a place and a time period. It was an age, the ice age. I think that's really interesting because if Helsinki used to be the original North Pole, and now we have the Earth's tilt, and this is all related to the ice or I guess the weight of that ice. And it's melting off now, right during the time period in which the saga says the ice will melt and the planet will self-correct and will reenter the global paradise time of tropical, lush weather. Is that more or less the case?
2: You know, we have a word that we, in English, we say balance. So we lose the association because we say bow. But in root language, balance is called balance. And ball is a ball. And this earth is one ball. It's one atmosphere. Sphere is a ball. Atmosphere. Moose is the moisture. Sphere is a round ball. And air on the end is the air. So the atmosphere, air. So we have this ball. And in the middle of this ball, we have one pole. North Pole, South Pole, we can also call it one axle, but we can call it one E or I in English, but we can also call it one lance, and lance is one pole. So in the middle of this earth is one lance, this ball and this lance. When the planet was sitting straight up and down, and this lance was sitting upright instead of tilted over, the planet was in balance. We were spinning in harmony with the moon. But now since it tilted, we're out of Balance. The Lance fell out. So we're out of Balance, the, the Earth. This story says that that this Lance and this ball is going to tilt back up here. Eeyore thought it was going to happen in his lifetime, but it didn't. This whole thing about global warm, it's all caused by the sun, it's all on purpose because we're getting ready to have the new nude paradise, he called it.
0: Hmm.
1: And right, according to the saga, the Earth is round, but there are no other planets. The stars are not distant suns, and there are no other beings. We're sort of, it seems like, in an enclosure of some kind.
2: Well, according to this, there's one solar system. The sun is the sun. It's not a star. Even according to the Greeks, they call Mars and Venus and Saturn and Mercury, they called them the wandering stars. They didn't call them the wandering planets. So I don't know really when they started calling Mars and Venus planets. I really would love to find out when that actually happened, because in the old way of thinking, we even call Mars and Venus, we call them the morning and the evening stars. You can't be a star and a planet. And nearly every language calls them a morning star, the Venus. So I mean, it's, it can't be a star and a planet at the same time. According to this, there's one sun. It shines in all directions. Stars are made of metal, ice, and gas. There are all millions of them, but they reflect the sun. If the sun didn't shine, the stars wouldn't shine. Mars wouldn't shine. Venus wouldn't shine. This earth would be dead. Everything in the universe would be black. So we put it all to one sun. It's the power to everything that exists. And we call this sun Odin, and our Sulin. Everything on this planet, every butterfly, every design on its wing, a thousand different butterflies full of all different kinds of designs and colors, they're all consciously made by the sun. The sun is the intelligent design. Without the sun shining, this planet would freeze. It would be dark. Everything would die. There would be no soul, no life, no nothing, no consciousness. So the sun is conscious. You were talking about entities that were not human i would have to say the sun would have to follow that one because the sun is not a human but yet it's consciously creating everything living on this planet and it's consciously giving the light to the moon to what we call our planets which are really stars and every star in the universe wouldn't shine they're not suns within themselves and that's another really huge thing i mean they have no pictures of the surface of anything in deep space. The closest star is 28 trillion miles, and they cannot see. All they really see with their Hubble and the most fantastic telescope they have, they really just see a little light dot in a dark background, just what we see with our eyes, but just a little bit bigger. But they see no colors. All the colors that NASA puts in these beautiful films they had here on Earth, it's all a fake. And they have no idea what these stars are. They think they're all suns, all have universe around them. And I mean, they just keep multiverses. It says universe, uni, unit, unit, unicycle, uni. So, I mean, you know, they just, these guys get paid a lot of money, but they have to say something. So they just say it wrong and they're teaching our university children bullshit. So I can say.
1: <laughs> well, obviously I find any, Alternative model to be really provocative, you say. According to the saga, the stars are made of metal, ice, and gas. Are they floating out in the ether? Are they attached to some type of uh, enclosure? Are they just disembodied? What What are they? Can you give us some more details or elaborate on what those little lights in the sky are
2: supposed to be? Well, all three of these materials are highly reflectable ice, gas, and metal. So they're all just reflecting the sun. I mean, they're in a vacuum. They're in a space. The farther away from the sun you go, the colder it gets. So we do know that life can exist here on this earth, but if you go the next ball out, it's too cold and the next ball is too hot. So we're really in an ideal situation. I offer today, I still offer $5,000 for anyone to Bring me a picture of another sun. It doesn't exist. They just do not have it. It does not exist. They're just saying that they know. But according to this, yeah, if the sun didn't shine, there's an old saying. I don't know if we really want to go into this, but there's an old poem in English, very old, and it goes like this Uden is a ring. Uden is everything. Uden has always been and Udin will always be, and Udin is the sun. So in this saga, we say there was no Big Bang, and there certainly wasn't some invisible guy who made it all in six days who lives up there somewhere. Hmm. For us, we say that the universe has always been, and it will always be. It had no beginning. It will have no ending. There never was a time of total darkness. There never will be a time of total darkness. And this is called eternity, no beginning and no end in the time. And when you look out into the space, into the night, into those beautiful stars, those stars go forever and ever and ever. There's no end to them. And that's called eternity, Hmm. no ending. So the universe in itself is the eternity. It is the infinity. It is the all. And the source of all is the sun. If the sun didn't shine, this planet would be dead. Moon wouldn't shine. Mars wouldn't shine. The stars wouldn't shine. It would be total black, total life. Hmm. So for us, the sun it's not some kind of just ball of gas up there that, you know, we can go find another place to live and all this. No, it's really, this is all on purpose. The human being is not an accident. We're created on this planet. The saga explains how the human came into existence. We're not coming in on a spaceship or anything else. It's from the light of the sun. And they say, well, we wouldn't have water. We wouldn't have life. Yeah, but if we don't have the sun, the water is ice. And you can't drink a glass of ice. So, And with no light, this planet would just freeze and die. So I always tell people, look, I understand that the sun is the creation of life. I don't believe that. So it's a difference. Now, some people believe someone made the sun. Now, that goes into belief. The difference between believing and understanding is proof and evidence. Believing requires no proof and no evidence. But understanding, you must have evidence or proof or you cannot understand anything.
1: Right. Obviously, the sun is crucial for life. Can't argue with that. And you mentioned last time that the sun gave humanity, quote, special gifts. And we didn't really get to talk about what those
2: gifts were. Are you talking about forms of magic? No. If you go to the first man and the first woman, because we don't tell the history backwards like they try to today. We come from the beginning to now. You don't read a book from the back to the front. So we give the history from the beginning. So, In the saga, we explain about how these first two people were born in this North Pole, in this hole, in what we call Valhalla, or this hole that's above this empty cavern. And this first masculine was called Frey, and his sister was called Freya. And Frey was the god, what we call the good in root language. We have an English name called God Frey, the God Frey. So... These two people had come from a combination of a monkey, an ape, and a goat. So we say the missing link to the human, we know we're 95% ape, but there was something else that was missing. And we say in the story, there was a one-time happening, usually in the nature, animals do not crossbreed, but the sun decided to create this new thing called human being. And so it was a combination of one ape and one nanny goat, one female goat. And inside these animals, they do not have what we call sperm or what we call sperma in the story. They have something called imbla, which is like sperma, but it's different. It's a different quality. But it says that in this English, we call the sound pair, the father. So we're all sons and we're all daughters of pair. We're pair sons, pair sons, pair sons. and. The sound ma, ma means mother. We all say, most languages say mama. And the word mama comes from the word magma. In English, we say magma. So we lose the association with the a, but it's m-a-gay, m-a. And in the middle is the g or the gay. And if you pull the g down, you have m-a, m-a. The mama is made of magma. The ground is made of magma, and it's our mama. So the sound ma means the mother. Mm-hmm. So in the saga, it says that when this fray, this first boy, was seven years old, the son gave to him a very, very special gift. And S in our language, the sound A-S, s means sulan or son. The sound pear means father. We're sons of pair. We're pair sons. And ma means the earth or the mother. So the son gave to the first pair and the first ma something called esperma. Sperma. This is how this linguistics works. And so in prey in his balls on his seventh birthday, he got the seed from the sun, And in this seed was 29 sounds what we call the root language. So before we had the word, we had to have the sounds to make the word. Right. So he was given these 29 sounds, which go E, A, B, C, D, A, F, G, O, E, Y, Q, L, M, N, U, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, X, E, C, O, A, U, and U. And these 29 sounds were given to the first man on this planet. He got the Al-Fa-Bet. Al is everything. Fa is the father. And Bet means to bait your hook. So he was the Al-Fa. He was the Alpha male. He was the Al-Father. So this first Al-Fa got the Al-Fa-Bet from the sun. And he and his sister, they created what they call the root language, the first language on the planet. So we had language from the very beginning. So this language was one gift that the sun gave to the human being that didn't give to the animal. They can't explain a tree and the color of the leaf and the shape of the leaf and the small little vein that goes down. They can't do that. So this linguistics is an incredible gift that the sun gave to the human being that didn't give to the animals. There were three other things that the sun gave to us that the animals didn't get. And one was the linguistics, second was fire. The animal, he didn't get the fire, but the first woman on the planet, Freya, was given fire from the sun and via one lightning bolt. And the women, they needed this fire because it was tropical, so they didn't need so much for heat, but they needed to extract what we call tay. And tay, they took one stone pot, they built one fire underneath the stone pot, they fill it full of water and they collected leaves from the nature. And inside of the word leaf is the word life. So the, our word life comes from the word leaf. Hmm. And inside these leaves is a property. Today, we call it tayin. In the root language, we call it saav. In Finnish language, we call it mahala. And in English, we call it sap. So there's our energy that's in the leaf of the tea, not the bean and the coffee, but the leaf of the tea. And these women would boil this water. When it became to a boil, they would take one stick out because you never want to boil the life out of the leaf. And then they would put these leaves in it, and they drank this tea from the morning to the night. It was petrol for the brain. And the man drank the tea also. Hmm. So this fire was important for the human being because we needed to make this tea from the beginning. The women needed it especially. The third thing that we got, the linguistics, the fire, was something called mate what we call mathematics. And mate has to do with mama, mate ma. So the women were given the mate matik, not the papa. We were given something else. So without mathematics, you know, we couldn't have anything that we have today. It's all based on math. Mm-hmm. Fourth thing that we got was in the nature when an animal cannot fly. A bird cannot fly, an animal cannot walk, and a fish cannot swim. They fall down and it's their last day. Their soul goes back into the earth. But the human being in the nature time, we could wake up one day, cannot walk anymore, but we could get one stick, a walking stick, and we could still walk for a little while longer. Mm -hmm. So it's like a nature gift that the animals couldn't have that stick, but the human being, we could still have a few more weeks or months with a stick so yeah like tool usage basically basically yeah you had a tool there you had something that could give you that leg that you couldn't stand on anymore mm-hmm. and uh today we'll talk about how we died in these times because that's where the story goes into
1: right we definitely want to relay more material from the saga itself but we are pretty late in the first hour at this point and i would just say that this is pretty damn dense material. And instead of just globbing a few more chapters on to what we talked about last time, I wanted to give people the other context of why I think this stuff is interesting, why they might care. And if they agree, they can go down the full rabbit hole later because it is just way too much for two hours. And for people who haven't gotten that far into the box saga, I recommend that video where Jim sits down, with the root alphabet in a circular ring, and you go through the story, because it's really interesting how the whole deep tradition is preserved in this root alphabet, all in order. It acts as a sort of mnemonic device, and probably a good lesson in how oral traditions can keep their integrity over a long period of time anyway, and I know that the phonetics is a bit of a gray area. I don't know much about linguistics, and it's probably a little odd to some people that this root language would work so well phonetically with English, when English is a relatively recent language, and we're told that things like Hebrew and Sanskrit are much older. But I guess we're really talking about an origin tradition and cosmology and mythology for the Scandinavian Nordic people. And when I Boil it down to that, it's a bit easier to swallow. And again, just progressing through the saga, using the wheel, is just impressive. And seems weird that someone would make this up arbitrarily and be so committed to it. Plus, you know, it's tying into multiple areas with buried artifacts and chambers that do seem pretty credible. It ties into why this guy, Eeyore Bach, would have been attacked multiple times and his killer... Not held accountable. And people kind of need to know these things to understand why they might care about the material itself. And I don't exactly know what to make of the saga at all times. Some of it is quite strange. But I listen to a lot of origin stories and they can be interesting and contain truths without becoming my new religion. But Let me throw this at you, because you seem like a pretty spiritual guy, a minimalist living among nature with a healthy meditation practice and all that, walking the Gnostic path, and earlier you mentioned that they did have some sort of offering system, and then I asked you about non-human entities or intelligences of any kind, and you said that according to the saga, there really aren't any, and that's fine as far as the material goes. And I know you're committed to it, but I am curious, with this offering system, who were these offerings made to or with your meditation practice? Have you ever encountered something that made you question this position on non-physical intelligences? Or have you had an out-of-body experience or any of these sorts of things that tend to happen when someone does develop a deep spirituality and live amongst nature? Has anything emerged from that aspect of your life that might conflict with this aspect of the saga
2: well okay to go into the offering system we need to make that another day because that's a very very big story and it's kind of taboo actually in many ways so i would prefer maybe not to go into that offering story today sure as far as being out of the body, I don't know what can be out of the body. Your imagination can be out of your body, but your brain is headquarters. That's where your love, everything is contained in your brain. That's your control central. Now, the spirit in this saga, the spirit is in the breath, it's in the air. So when I take my last exhale as I die, as my last breath goes from my body, that's my spirit leaving the body. So the spirit. In root language, the spirit is called ande, and breath is called andas. And in Finnish language, the name for spirit is called hänki, and breath is called hankingas. In and, and Hawaiian, even the sound ha means breath, and ha means spirit. So in many, many languages, you'll get the association that breath and spirit are the same. Now, the soul is much different. It comes from the same thing. It comes from the sun. But the soul is in the cell, the body. Every living cell contains soul, sun power. And that's the soul in the body. So when I die, my spirit leaves and goes into the air. There's a story about that. But my soul is still in the body. It doesn't leave. And so before all people were cremated, their ash was put underneath a family tree. That's another story. Maybe we can go into that one today, how we died in these family trees. But the soul and the spirit, they're two different things. You know, I can sit here and close my eyes and imagine that I'm sitting up in a limb on the tree looking down at myself. Now, I guess you could call that an out of body. I'm looking at myself standing down on the ground underneath the tree and I'm up. But there's no really physical part of me that can leave the body, my imagination. So out of the body, I don't know what can leave the body. I would debate that with other people, but, you know, I think it's just the imagination that's leaving, and it thinks you're out there looking back or doing something like that. Hmm. Even in these cases
1: of near-death experience or when people are brought back from the brink of death?
2: Yeah, I think these people, they, you know, they're on the edge of death, and they black out, and they're, you know, unconscious, and they feel like they're outside the body, but I don't know the The spirit is going in and out in every breath, and the soul can't jump out of the body. It's inside the cells of the body. It can only be in the imagination as far as I'm concerned. Well, fair
1: enough. That's obviously not what we're really here to talk about, but I was just curious. And maybe we're dealing with semantics, or it's just an issue of definitions, because there are a lot of cases of people being clinically dead, but also looking down in the room, seeing or hearing real things that happened. And relaying those things when they are brought back to life. And as you said, I mean, spirit can be everywhere. We're obviously more than just our bodies. We're going to talk about spirit and soul later. Maybe there's a field there that can contain information that we can extract. It's a lot to unpack. But let's just get back to the material. You mentioned how we died in ancient times. Tell us about that.
2: You know, today we have hospitals, we have all this miracle medicines, surgery, chemotherapy, stem cell. So we're really, mankind is getting sick and they're having to find new ways to try to make us to be well again because the antibiotics aren't working anymore, the vaccines are, you know, about those. So mankind is very sick. You know, in the Bach saga, it says in the paradise, nobody was sick. There was no people who died from illness, but that's another story. In Eeyore's family, no one ever died of illness. They had something called their immune system, which will go on another day. But in the nature, when a bird cannot fly and a fish cannot swim and an animal cannot walk anymore, they turn over and they die right there. And their soul that's in the cells of their body eventually goes back into the green system of the earth in one system. So the day that they can't do these things, they're finished. But the human being, one day that we wake up and we can't walk anymore, we're talking about a time before hospitals and before all this stuff. So we live according to nature. We felt nature was perfect and we couldn't do any better than what the nature was. Today, we don't think the nature is perfect anymore. So we do it our own way. But I'll take this word Akka. Akka in our story is the old woman, the highest woman on the planet. She's called Akka. It's where the word academic, academy comes from. It's where Akashic records come from, Akka's ash, Akash. And akash tree was the ash tree. It's where Almenak, menaka. Men they call it menaka. All men come from Akka. So Akka, the names around this temple is called Akka because it was the old woman's place. Akampesoranta is the name for the temple hill that we live on over there where the temple is. So one day, Akka, she wakes up, and she's the highest woman of the Osser. She's the grandmother, and she can't stand anymore. So this is one sign that now she's coming close to the end, because when you can't walk anymore, before we went away from the life, we didn't cause a lot of problems for people. So one day, she wakes up, and she can't get up, but she gets a stick, and now she can still hobble around the village, and she can still get around with this stick, and everybody can see that now grandma she's on the stick, you know, so she doesn't have so much time left in the life. And then one day, grandmother Akka, she wakes up and she gets her stick, and she realizes she can still stand with her stick, but she can't walk with it anymore. Her legs will not travel. So on this day, the Akka she sits down and she lets the word out into the family that now the grandmother she can't walk anymore. And one by one, people come to see her that have things to say to the grandmother. And they sit down in front of her. She has information she may want to give them. They have things they want to say to her. And it's blah, 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 back and forth. And then when there's nothing else to say to the grandmother, this person would look at her in the eyes. It was good feeling. She would go away and the next person and the next person and the next person one by one. So everybody had their opportunity to sit and tell or talk with the grandmother in these last days of her life. And then when everybody, this whole procedure with these people coming, when nobody had anything else to say, now the grandmother's sitting there, they made one day where now the two strongest men of the tribe, of the clan, would come and everybody would be bare. Nobody would wear any clothes because we come into this world bare and we leave the world bare. And these two strongest guys of the village or the tribe they would come and they would hold hands and they would make like an X by holding hands, like a chair. And they would put this grandmother up into, and they would carry her with her stick to the top of one hill or one cliff called one Etta Stupa. And the temple tape there, you can see this big tall stone in the back is where the Aka, where she fell from. And they would carry her up to the top of this cliff or this hill, and there they would set her down. And she would stand. It was very important she could still stand with the stick. She couldn't walk, but she had to be able to stand. She didn't want to wait but she couldn't stand. They would put her there, and there she's standing. And all the people who had love or, or feelings for the grandmother all made one cue, one line behind her as they were carrying her up to this hill. And then when she's standing there, they have made a semicircle at the bottom of the hill. And now she could look down into the eyes. Of her whole family there was nothing to say to any of them that she had already said it one by one but she's looking down into the eyes of the people who made her life to be what it was and they're all looking up into the eyes of their grandmother matriarch so they're just looking at each other she's standing there with her stick and off to one side they would always have a ring drawn with a stick in the middle and that's a ring with a pole in the middle and the sun made the shadow cube. It's the sundial. And so she could look over, and when the sun, Udin or Sulan, was at 12 o'clock, it cast the shadow on a certain line. At this time, she would lift her stick up and point it straight up to the sun. And she herself would look straight to the sun. She, she's holding her stick up to the sun. She's looking at the sun. And in this minute, the people on the ground They don't look into her eyes. This is your most private second of your life. They also looked into the sun. So it was like one communication from them, their eyes looking to the sun, the sun looking down on this whole story. And when she lifted her stick, she couldn't stand anymore. And she fell straight off the back of this cliff. And on the way down, the last thing she saw as she was going down about five, six, seven meters was the sun, which was the creator of her life. It was her soul. And this is how we died. We were alive at our own funeral. People, when you couldn't walk with your stick anymore, we went away from the life. And then they would take this old woman, they would cremate her. All people were cremated. This is why we don't find so many bones from old, old times because people were cremated. And these people said that the soul was in the ash of the fire. And the ash is the driest thing on the planet. There's nothing drier than the ash. And they would collect this ash from the fire. And in this ash was the soul of the grandmother. And in these days, we all belong to family trees. In the north, we all had the oak tree. In the paradise, we had the palm tree. But in this time, we had the oak tree. And our ash was put underneath into the roots of our tree. There were living memorials. We didn't have graveyards. You could go to your family tree, and you knew that the ash of your older brother was there on top of the ash, ashes, the ashes, the ashes, the ashes. And this was how we ended up in the old time. Our soul went underneath our family tree. And from there, this soul is in the earth. It's in the what we call the damp system because the earth is damp. And the sun now would suck this soul out of this ash into the root of the tree. And now our soul is in the tree in the form of saab or sap or mahala in Finnish language. And now our soul travels up the trunk of the tree to the branch. And from the branch, it goes to the small branch. And from the small branch, it goes to the leaf. So our life has gone to the leaf of the tree. And now we're in the leaf. We be the leaf. And this is the belief system. We be the leaf. We be the life in the leaf. And now the sun sucks our leaf, our life, out of the leaf. The green in the leaf is the life. And this soul is sucked into the air. And from there, in this planet spinning around in what we call centripugal in root language, we call it centrifugal force. This planet is spinning and this soul goes into the air where our spirit also went into the air. And in this thing, when we were sitting straight up and down, all soul and spirit were brought back to the hole in the top of the axis of the planet, to the holy. In English language, they call it hell league. That means holy. The hell e ground, the holy ground. So this was what we would call the heaven. It's not up in the vacuum up there in space. The heaven is this hole in the top of the North Pole. This is where all soul went to, all spirit went to. And all living things has soul and spirit. So dogs, frogs, everything that dies, there is no place for bad people. There is no place for good people. All soul goes through the hole in our story.
1: Mm. Well, I like all that. It seems to jive with an animist perspective to a degree. And it sounds like a much healthier tradition than respirators and breathing tubes and shitty cafeteria food and these sad death rooms that are foreign and cold and boring. You just rack up a huge bill for the loved ones you leave behind. That's no good. And I've also always loved the idea of a living funeral because the way we do things now where we don't pour our hearts out until the person's gone, it just seems like the worst timing ever. But we just keep doing it this way. Man, it's another tangent, but... I've also wondered if there isn't some type of conspiracy angle to our modern casket in the ground tradition because the ancients seem to have a much better understanding of the life-death cycle and they seem to care a lot about processing their dead for that stage. We know the religious authorities killed off all these traditions and replaced them with empty, meaningless husks in a lot of cases. Maybe their funeral process does more to trap our body underground or to keep us from moving on just because it seems like people did have a handle on the process and maybe that information was used to twist the traditions and hold us back in this case as it has in others where something more meaningful and useful preceded it well i love it man and i really appreciate your time it was great to talk to you again I think you're a really interesting, zen, humble, and skilled storyteller who really embraces that off-the-grid life, and I think that's awesome that you become such an expert in this body of work. It's a bit of a rare thing to see in modern times, so I salute you for it, and if there's anything else to tell people
2: about where they can digest more material, please let them know. Greg, just, you know, I appreciate so much you're on the cutting edge. I can't tell you how much the planet needs people like you. I mean, you're really something else, and I really appreciate that you gave me the space to put out a little bit more of this. And if you ever want to go into some more stuff, if I'm still breathing, I'll I'll do any more shows you want to do, and just keep up your brilliant fucking work and keep that split from smoking, brother. Hey,
1: amen and cheers. You are too kind. Well, thanks again. I will say boxaga dot net is a pretty great website it's pretty well done pretty high quality and it does contain a lot of the cliff notes at least to what we've talked about so let that be something people can take away of course you can look up jim's long long multi-hour presentations and powwows on youtube also recorded in really high quality 4k video it seems so there are uh, some things out there to follow up on if any of this resonated with the people. And Jim,
2: thanks again and take care out there. Mr. Carwood, appreciate it so much. I would appreciate if you send me a link so I can listen to all my mistakes. <laughs> Indeed, I will. Have a good one, man. Aloha. Aloha.
1: And boom goes that Box Saga Dynamite, people, finally. Finally, we can scratch a part two with Jim Chessner off the list. I would say he is right up there as one of the most requested guests to get back. And I am intrigued by the Bach saga, but instead of just diving straight into its contents again, I wanted to talk about its surrounding context this time. The stabbings of Eeyore Bach, the radar scans that seemed to check out of places that Eor said there would be something. And then there is, because that surrounding stuff, I think, is just as important as to why you might want to give the material a second look, because you can find the five-hour videos of Jim laying out aspects of the saga. You can go to the website. You can look as deeply into the material itself as you want without me. But what I thought would be unique is getting into those curiosities that surround it and also asking Jim a couple of questions about his own thoughts and ideas and life. Because the Bach Saga material is so dense that you can spend two hours just sticking to it and never really getting to know Jim any better. And I think he's a fascinating guy. I mean, he did have a better microphone this time and no rooster crowing in the background. Or maybe, you know, maybe I'm just in it for the coffee. Last time as a thank you, Jim did send me a care package from Hawaii with a lighter and a bowl and some really great coffee. Which is just a nice, genuine thing to do. Way above and beyond, and you can never have too much coffee. But yeah, I know Jim is very committed, of course, to preserving the saga, and the saga is life. His paradigm is the saga. And I do appreciate that commitment. I don't have any real body of work that I put full stock in to that degree. I don't have that much passion about anything specifically. And I don't want to say that I take the material with a grain of salt, because that's not true. But if it is a longstanding oral tradition, it's interesting enough just to unpack it from that standpoint, or think of it as like a historical archive kind of situation, because there are all kinds of indigenous cultures that have cosmologies or stories that might seem outdated with the knowledge that humanity has gotten in the time sense. But at the same time, we're wrong about a lot. We don't have answers for a lot, and science is making a lot of shit up. So going back to these old stories is interesting, but you kind of have to weigh both of those things at the same time. And the Box Saga does have a lot in it that is wildly different than the way we typically think about certain things, but he does say it's based in linguistics and logic, and you can kind of see where a Boxagian might be coming from. I kind of think of it like the Bible. Here's this big container of material. Maybe you don't find something of value in every chapter, but maybe it's a different lens than the one you typically look through. And maybe you see something where you're like, oh, now that's interesting. I never thought about it like that before. And hopefully you had a few of those moments today. You know, Jim did follow up with me, and he sent me an image of an old map where the original Prime Meridian is exactly where he says it's going to be. The longitude line, that zero point, it does pass right through Helsinki, straight on through Crete, and I was looking into the reason that it's not there anymore, and understandably it was common for a civilization to form their own map and put themselves at that zero longitude line. But the reason the current consensus is what it is, would be because of the International Meridian Conference in 1884, which took place in Washington, D.C., actually. Twenty-five nations came together, and they agreed on this new standard that put, surprise, surprise, Greenwich, England, at the zero mark. And I don't know how much there is really to unpack about that, but Jim might say that this was because they wanted to obscure or hide the importance of the Helsinki area, the whole of the inner Earth, or, you know, if Earth reestablished its balance, Helsinki would be a very important place. And so why not form a new standard before something like that were to happen? I also wasn't kidding about several listeners who have been to Finland and sought out some of these areas Jim talks about. That kind of blew my mind a bit. Creating a show that drives some people that far? its kind of cool to be involved in. But for me, what I need is that goddamn temple opened. I hope we get it. I really do. And Jim is definitely going to keep me posted. But a lot of the things we talk about on this show, they get to this point where it's like, oh, well, we could get proof if we could only do X. And a lot of times, X is not really feasible. A lot of times that X is outside of our means, or it takes millions of dollars. This X... Seems well within the realm of possibility. We know exactly where to go. Apparently, we only have to dig down a couple of meters. Let's do it. It just gets frustrating to me sometimes. Digesting all this material, trying to get a smoking gun to validate some of it, and it's always just out of grasp. But I am trying to keep the faith, guys. At least on a few things. So if you only heard the first hour with Jim which is largely taken up by me trying to talk about this surrounding stuff out on the edges. In the Plus Show, we did talk about more of the specific material and teachings in the saga. Stuff like what it has to say about the 13 original races on the planet and how we progressed, the truth and misunderstandings about the heart, the history of the hemp plant, and its presence in that box saga. And we talked about that Graham Hancock cedar culture perspective that... A group went out and taught the rest of us some things and how that might jive with the Box Saga, as well as the saga's perspective on the pyramids, which was a theory on the pyramids. Of course, they're all over the planet, not just the Giza Plateau, but it was a theory that I've never really heard before. It's kind of practical, but it really makes a lot of sense because it relates to the lives of the people at the time. Why would they want to build something like this? Well, his explanation, I think, fits the mold. Plus, people, let me know what you think about that because I found that to be one of the most fun aspects of today. If you want to be a plus member, of the Higher Side Chats Plus.com. Sign up to hear those second hours. You can click on the linkage right through your RSS feed. You're right there. Help a brother out, help yourselves out, <laughs> or just do whatever you want. But I am so happy with that last show that we did with Corey Daniel. I know it's become a new favorite for a lot of people. That's excellent. I know I had people waiting for a new show for a while. And we got to talking on the Plus site and I commented that I'm sorry for the drought. But now that flood is coming. (laughs) And, you know, then we had five more days of dark, dreary dryness. So flood might have been a bit of an exaggeration, but really... I have to have five shows for you every month. That is my commitment. And if we went 14 days without a show this month, then clearly four more are coming before the month ends. So it's a flood by a certain standard. Maybe it's more of a light sprinkle, but they're coming. Again, I'm sorry I had life obligations, some travel, some sickness, some family stuff, some editor vacation stuff. But I got nothing going on for the rest of the year, as far as I know, but sitting here and working on THC. So once we get caught up here, we're going to stay caught up because obviously things always unfold exactly as we think they will. That said, here we are. This makes two and then the next one is coming soon and it's really great. And then the one after that's a little eh, and then the one after that is right back to being great. So lots of shows in the pipeline. Also, six days until the next joint session, October 25th, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Come and tell me about your inside scoops and strange experiences. The sorts of things that are fascinating to hear, but probably don't take up two hours. Don't need a full show. I had a lot of people contacting me, actually, or commenting about Native American stories or insight or added details. Things about the desert that weren't in the last show. And calling in for the joint sessions is really the perfect time to add those details, to talk about those things. So I hope you are listening, and I hope you're going to be available. But I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. I've done what I can. Your move, history-stealers, oral tradition destroyers, and box saga suppressors. Your fucking
0: move. You know the plan has always been to hack your brain. MKO just trying to drive you insane. They'll explode your heart if they think that's what it takes. You think I'm answering the phone while well, I ate. You gotta keep the curtains drawn, cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home. Well you're not. You should tape the mail slot. And baby, if I seem withdrawn, let me say it's cause I just don't want to go and get whacked. Maybe you should know that the trauma affects you like it does everyone. It's just the game plan. It's what the world's become. They want a pat down and a swap. Don't you see what's going on? Well, now you know you're better keeping on your You can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch It is and you can only trust yourself I hope you know the elite aren't your friends They'll suck out everything from you in the end And if for some reason you think I might be wrong I wonder where you got that opinion from You gotta keep the curtains drawn Cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home Well you're not You should tape the mail slot And baby if I seem withdrawn Let me say it's cause I just don't wanna go and get whacked Maybe you should know that The trauma affects you like it does everyone It's just the game plan, it's what the world's become They want a pat down and a swap Don't you see what's going on? Well, now you know You're better keeping on your own Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch, it is and you can only trust yourself. That these problems are small Or maybe they aren't registering at all Now they know you're naive and vulnerable You won't believe all of the stunts that they'll pull Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think The system's out of touch It is and you can only trust yourself Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch It is and you can only trust yourself